You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Who should pay for the untold damages that climate change has wrought on cities, states, and the world? Today on Parts Per Billion, we hear from a pair of lawyers who are sailing through uncharted legal waters to try to find an answer to that question. Hello, and welcome back once again to Parts Per Billion, the environmental podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. So who pays for climate change? I guess the answer is everyone, but let's get a little more specific. Who pays to fix the flooded roads? Who pays to put out the wildfires? Who pays to dig deeper wells when droughts hit? It's the cities. And now a couple dozen cities here in the U.S. are saying they shouldn't be the ones left holding the bag. New York, San Francisco, D.C., Baltimore, they're filing civil suits against some of the biggest names in the fossil fuel industry. These suits say companies like Exxon, Chevron, BP, Shell, and others not only cause climate change, but have known about it for decades and deliberately covered it up. For today's episode of the podcast, we're hearing from Katie Jones, an attorney representing these cities, and Ted Boutros, an attorney representing one of the defendants. First, the plaintiff side of the story, and we hear from San Francisco-based attorney Katie Jones. She and her firm Cher Edling are seeking damages from the fossil fuel industry on behalf of her municipal clients. Jones told us about the basis of the climate suit she's working on and about how they're taking an old legal concept, the tort, and pushing it to a place it's never been before. Our work arises out of the idea that courts provide an even playing field to take on the biggest polluters and the most powerful companies. Um, it's kind of the basic idea that they shouldn't be allowed to make everyone else pay for the damage caused by their pollution. And so Sheridling right now represents 16 of the 24 state and local government cases around the country that have filed climate damage and deception lawsuits. Sheridling helped San Mateo County, Marin County, and the city of Imperial Beach in California file the first cases in this uh, new wave of litigation back in July 2017. And let's talk about who the defendants are. Uh, these are, are household names, I would say. <laughs> yeah, if you've ever bought gas from Chevron, Shell, BP, uh, these are the names. So let's talk about the legal theory at play here. Um you know, I get the sense this is kind of novel, uh, you know, a, a novel area that you're sort of pursuing this idea that the fossil fuel companies uh, deceive the public in terms of the impact of climate change. And therefore, the municipalities uh, have a right to file a suit against these companies. Is that am I getting that right? 
Yeah, that's right. And the, the broad stroke, uh, these lawsuits file into kind of two buckets that overlap and support each other. Uh, many of them are brought under state common law claims like public nuisance and failure to warn. And then some are also brought under state uh, consumer protection lawsuits uh, founded in you know, the idea that it's a it's against the law and it's a deceptive business practice to to deceive the public about risks, especially where they're known risks that the, the industry knew about. And so in the first bucket, I, I brought up public nuisance law. Um, public nuisance is, is somewhat obscure, at least to the public. Um, there's no law and order public nuisance series um, and even lawyers encounter public nuisance in law school and maybe never think about it after passing the bar exam. But it's an area of law with a long history and with strong legal underpinnings uh, evolving throughout American law. And public nuisance is particularly important in environmental cases. Um, there's a long history of public nuisance being used to stop or to remedy pollution of air or water or the kind of harms that are caused by by externalities of, of corporate activity. And, and I get the sense that a really key aspect of these suits that you're you're filing is that it's not just that the, the fossil fuel companies, uh, you know, their actions led to climate change, it's that it seems like you guys have some evidence that they knew that was happening for years before, uh, you know, the rest of the public did. Is that right? Is that aspect of like what they knew and when they knew it, that seems like an important uh, angle to your suits. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, these laws are about using existing legal tools to force major players in the fossil fuel industry to internalize some of the harms from the biggest externality problem facing our world, the climate crisis. And the the key issue there is is what they knew and when they knew it. In 2015, investigative journalists at the LA Times and Inside Climate News broke stories based on Exxon and other fossil fuel company archival documents that showed primarily that they knew that fossil fuels were causing climate change and that Exxon and other fossil fuel companies were studying it extensively starting as early as the 1970s. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is I was doing a little bit of research and people have kind of compared this to the tobacco cases from the late 90s where there was, you know, there were uh, was a famous settlement between the tobacco companies and uh, a lot of the state attorneys general. Um, and that also uh, got into some of the same issues about what the companies knew, when they knew it. Do you think that do you think that that's an apt comparison that your cases are following the model of those tobacco cases or are, is this different? I think it's an absolutely apt comparison. The fossil fuel industry was, you know, using a page out of the big tobacco playbook. Um, big tobacco had famously said uh, that doubt is their product. And, you know, they in in comparison, the fossil fuel industry was using and weaponizing doubt against the public to confuse the issues, to confuse whether climate change actually existed, how serious it was, and whether their products had anything to do with it. You mentioned that um, a lot of your suits are based on uh, kind of basic concepts of law, like nuisance uh, and you know deceptive business practices. But I think they've never really been applied to climate change specifically. 
given that, like, how are these suits going? Are you getting um, receptive audiences in, in, in courtrooms or are you getting judges who say, like, uh, what's this? We've never seen this before. You know, climate change, nuisance, what's going on? Climate change is a new type of harm. And the thing about the common law about claims like public nuisance or failure to warn is that it is always adapting to to serve the interests of justice. And uh, it's judge-made law that can adapt to, to suit the types of harms that we see. Um, and to provide some background on the status of these cases, the main legal battles so far have been over whether they should be heard in state court where they were filed or federal court where the fossil fuel companies tried to move them. But I get the sense that uh, the Supreme Court may be about to weigh in on this. That's correct. The Supreme Court heard one of those cases last month in the city of Baltimore's climate damages case. But the Supreme Court's review was limited to a fairly arcane procedural question about the scope of an appellate court's review. Um, in that case, one news article described it accurately, I think, as the kind of argument only a lawyer could love. So the arguments right now have dealt with these procedural issues. And so while the Supreme Court's decision in Baltimore could impact the timeline for that case, uh, how quickly Baltimore and the other cases can get back to state court, it likely won't say anything either way about the actual merits of the case. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now we hear how things look according to one of the defendants. Ted Boutros is a Los Angeles-based attorney with the firm Gibson Dunn, and he's represented Chevron for over a decade. Boutros addressed the internal documents that Jones referenced. That argument that she was making has been something that was included in their earliest complaints, and they've every time they've actually had to show it in court, they've, it's fallen apart. I raised the issue that they had been making in this argument um, that there was uh, hidden documents and cover up and the judge asked to see what two of the documents that they had been citing and and so they produced them and it turned out they were public public information they were widely disseminated and different companies um, were looking at climate from different angles chevron didn't didn't have an in-house science team focusing on climate chevron has looked to the ipcc the 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 global scientists and, and the government's assessment here. And, and this has been widely debated. I was watching an old movie uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, and, and it was a 1958 movie with Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman. And Cary Grant's character says, they say the climate's changing, it's getting warmer. So this isn't some state secret. This is a widely debated public policy issue. Chevron agrees we need to have solutions about uh, regarding climate change we and and grapple with these issues and litigation like this these just 
you know, off the wall claims. There's just no basis for these tort claims in state court or federal court. We think if they belong anywhere, it's federal court because these are federal, national, global issues for the federal government to grapple with. Uh, Chevron supported the Paris Agreement, and now we're we're back in, which is something I'm I'm glad about from a personal perspective. So these lawsuits, I think, are really a way to uh, just really confuse and, and the public and they're counterproductive. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up because uh, one of the things that came up most recently in these lawsuits are the issues of state court versus federal court. That was an issue that was recently argued at the Supreme Court. Um, can you explain a little bit more why you think this, these belong in federal court? Sure. It's, it really is an important issue. It, it flows from our constitutional structure. And one state cannot impose damages or punitive damages or remedies or regulate activities that occur outside the state or let alone outside the country. That's where the federal government comes in. And and the Supreme Court has made very clear going back decades and decades that where a claim hinges on interstate or international airflow or pollution, those arise under federal common law. In the the AEP case, which was uh, the court's rejection of a climate change tort about a decade ago, Justice Ginsburg wrote for the court that these these claims have federal character because of their the, the, the scope of the claims. And so we think that that authority means that if, if these claims go forward anywhere, it has to be in federal court. And we think the result should, would be the same in state court, that states would have to rule that they cannot regulate this behavior as a federal constitutional matter, that their tort law doctrines don't apply. Finally, I wanted to, um, you know, ask you about the the sort of fundamental idea that is lying beneath the, these claims, that the, the cities and the states that are, are the plaintiffs in these cases are incurring pretty significant costs as a result of climate change, whether it's from, you know, fixing a flooded road or, you know, having to um, you know, repair storm damage. Uh, you know, I, I take it you don't believe that the fossil fuel industry and Chevron in particular should have to uh, pay for those those costs. But it, who should? I mean, where should the money come from to to help these these cities and states uh, deal with the cost of climate change? Um, or should they be uh, on their own? We really are all in this together. I and mean, this came has come up in a couple of the cases. For example, in New. New York City, uh, we had a, a case and an argument, and the, the district judge there, Judge Keenan, pointed out that New York itself is a huge consumer of oil and gas, and, and the police cars outside are using gasoline, and, and, and they're, they're massive consumers who are, are participating in creating um, the, uh, participating in, in the activities that can lead to climate change. The city of San Francisco, while it was making these claims about harms and costs uh, of climate change in their bond offering documents around the same time that they filed the lawsuit against Chevron and other companies, declared that they that there were no um, risks that could be assessed in terms of cost based on climate change. So when they're trying to sell bonds, they're saying there aren't significant costs. And so it's, it's really a cop out for cities and counties to, to try to um, sue companies that are producing products that we all need for modern life to continue at the current moment um, and claim damages. They're participating in it. We all are under the theory of this case. You and I and everybody else, we're all liable for a tort because we all know about the 
the, the science and we're still participating in these activities. So it just doesn't hang together. Um, and so what we do need to all work together to come up with solutions that can mitigate uh, climate change and, and create other sources of energy, that's the way to do it. And so in terms of who bears the cost, it's a policy issue for Congress, for other governments to come together. But we, we do need to be serious about it. We also reached out to the other defendants in these lawsuits. Shell echoed a lot of Boutros's points, saying through a spokesperson that Shell's position on climate change has been, quote, a matter of public record for decades, and that the company thinks that the courtroom is not the right venue to tackle this problem. No other defendants responded to our emails. That'll do it for today's episode of Parts Per Billion. If you want more environmental news, check us out on Twitter. We use a pretty easy to remember handle. It's at environment, just that, at environment. I'm David B. Schultz. If you want to chat with me about anything and everything, today's episode of Parts for Billion was produced by myself and Josh Block, special assistance from Tom Taylor. Parts for Billion was created by Jessica Coombs and Rachel Daigle. The music for today's episode is A Message by Jazar and City of God by Louis Edwards and Henry Parsley. They're used under a Creative Commons license. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Office space startup WeWork has officially postponed a plan to go public. WeWork is having trouble finding investor demand at one third of the $47 billion price tag. The real concern is Adam Newman, the CEO. Everything is on him. His performance will determine this. What went wrong? We'll take you inside the company with interviews from people who helped build WeWork and exclusive tapes of internal meetings where Adam talks to his employees in ways he'd never speak in public. None of us want to look back and say, I could have done more. This could have been bigger. This could have been better. That's not acceptable. You do not get a chance like this again. None of us do. This is a new podcast from Bloomberg Technology called Foundering. Check us out. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.